Welcome to Coffee House Theology. This is Pastor Jay Strother with Brian Ball. It's Wednesday, May the 6th. Brian, I can't believe it's May already. I know. I mean, on one hand, April <laughs> felt like it was 500 years long, but uh, on the other hand, it feels like we are again coming to the end of a semester that seems like it started not too long ago. We continue our journey uh, as the whole church in the whole word. And so thank you again for the emails and responses. We've been getting some great observations from you guys as you engage. Uh, again, uh, we are rough continuing to walk through where we're at in our Bible reading because the Bible reading plan is chronological. Uh, it does jump back and forth between the Psalms and uh, First Chronicles some. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But we are in Samuel, Kings and Prophets, part four today. I mean, it kind of feels <laughs> epic when you have an IV, right, that's for right. the Roman numerals for four at that's the top right. of the page. And so that's where we're at today. Uh, and just remember that if you get the email, uh, you can click and download the handout to follow along with. And if you don't, or you're not on our distribution list, just let us know, uh, and we will be glad to add you. So, Brian, as we get going today, let me start us with a word of prayer, and then we will jump in. Thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you that this is the day you have made, Mm. uh, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And we know that that means today holds different things for different people, uh, but God, your purpose is in it all. So whether it's a difficult day for us or a good day for us, God, we trust your design and purposes, and we trust that you have put these words into your scripture, uh, God, for our lives. And so as we continue to look uh, at the meta-narrative, at the themes that you have woven into scripture today, uh, specifically through the life of David uh, this morning, God, I pray that your spirit would be with us as we study, uh, and we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Brian, you doing well this week? Doing great. All right. I really want to give Brian a shout out. Uh, It's been a unique season as a pastor, so Brian has been helping lay this out week to week and guiding our conversation, and that way I can just jump in and do what pastors do, and that's talk. (laughs) Well, glad glad I could provide that platform for you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, this is a a fun place, right? So we're we're rolling through 2 Samuel, and this is where we are this week is 2 Samuel 6 through 10. And and what we'll see is this is really the peak right of, of Judaism to to a large extent at this time is the, is the is the early part of David's rule the early monarchy yeah and so, you know, last week we remember that David finally united all of the tribes right under his authority that that uh, some of Saul's descendants had rebelled but he put that down and then had a massive victory over the Philistines right was the, was how we kind of closed out chapter 5 as as we roll into here and now we see that the that the ark is going to be brought into Jerusalem which is interesting, right? We haven't we haven't heard from the ark in a while. We have not. Right? He's been he was he's been hanging out right almost twenty years in the back room with Abinadab, right? His and his boys, and um, it was it was returned as we remember it was returned from the Philistines because it was it was causing all kinds of chaos there, tumors and That's death right. and right. They kept passing it from city state to city state because nobody wanted it in their town. That's right. And so they finally put it on a cart, right, right. with some cows, yep, and uh, rolled it rolled it over, and it, and then it killed a few uh, Israelites. And so they put it in a guy's house and left it there. That's right. You would have thought the Nazis would have learned in right. the Indiana Jones <laughs> exactly. movies, right? Yeah, if you're they an Indiana Jones yeah, fan, yeah. leave leave the Ark alone. Right. Well, and now and now it's in a warehouse in Washington, right? or Maryland, Supposedly, right? So that's yeah. that's the nice the nice part. If you want to stop by and see it, I'm sure our government will be glad to, to show it to you. So maybe that's not true. That's probably not true. Yeah. Anyway, that's not that's biblical not, for right, all of you exactly. listening at home. We just we digress. Yes, we're just yes playing off the movies. But but, but nonetheless, right? The, we, one of the things that's interesting is the, is the Ark at this point is very close to Philistine territory. That's it. And they're yeah. the and they're a primary threat. And so one, among, while he while David certainly wants to have the power and presence of God in Jerusalem and other thoughts probably from a tactical standpoint, he doesn't want the ark at risk. Yeah. And I think from a spiritual standpoint, it's a fascinating kind of episode because it, it, it illustrates how it's difficult for us to sometimes comprehend God's power. That's right. And 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 who, you know, the, the, there's still a mystery to who God is, you know, um, he reveals himself very clearly in Scripture. Don't get me wrong there, but this sense of he is distinctly other, right? And and because he chose the ark as this unique vessel during this period of history to be a manifestation of his presence, uh, there's still even for for David and the Israelites this man. What what do what's the right thing to do? Right. One, it's a lot of the ways we handle God now, and we have a very irreverent culture. That's right. And and one thing that, that as we any time we approach God, we know that that we have to approach Him with reverence. Yeah. 
right? And that's almost an unnatural – maybe it's an overall unnatural state in humanity, but it's particularly unnatural for Americans. That's right. Right, because we are, we are drawn to be irreverent. Yeah. Right? Our humor is irreverent, right? Our, 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 our literature a lot of times is irreverent. Yeah, and, and I think that's a default sometimes. Like that's, that's how somebody – like someone who uses humor when right. they don't know what else to do. Right. We default to being irreverent because we don't know how to handle things that are holy. That's exactly right. And that's, and, and that's exactly what we see here, right, that David, David's now established his capital city, and so he's going to bring the ark in. And, and um, it, he does that, as you were talking about, as the symbol of God, right, as, as bringing God in. You love what the contents of the ark were, right? If we remember, that they, they've got the tablets in there that represent God's command, right, represent right. the law. Right? It's got the manna in there that represents his provision, mm-hmm. and got the rod in there that represents our salvation, yeah. right? That rod and thy staff, they come from me. That's right. Right? And, so, and so that is all wound up in this, coming into the capital city. Um, so let's read these first, first four verses and kind of talk about this. So David gathered, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Jurah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they, and they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinabad, Abinadad, who, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadad, were driven with the new were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Hmm. Well, one. Well, let's start off with the first. The first sentence, right? Uh, David again gathered the chosen men of Israel. This is the first full force. From the entirety of the tribe, yeah. right? And so David's bringing in the 30,000 were the number killed back with the first battle of the Philistines back in the beginning of 1 Samuel. Oh, wow. And so he's bringing this, for, this force in a symbolic number yeah. to go recover the ark. And I think that's a beautiful restaurant. I think it's a beautiful Yeah, it seems like overkill. Right. <laughs> 30, 30,000 guys to go get a box, you but, know. But when you remember what was lost. Right. Right. And that goes back to how the Lord restores and redeems. Mm-hmm. Right. Isn't, isn't that just awesome? Powerful. I get, yeah, I get, I get chills. And they carried the ark on, of God on a new cart. And that, get, and that sounds to the modern reader like, okay, right. it's a cart. It's well, how they're moving stuff. The U-Haul, you know, they right. ran into U-Haul. They're <laughs> that's, carrying exactly. it down the road. <laughs> but but what's the problem? Right. The problem is that's not how God called for this to be to, for this to be brought, right? Yeah. You it have to handle the things of God's, God's ways. And you have to be careful, right? And this speaks again to what we talked about last week. You have to be really careful with what of this world, even things that seem like good ideas. Right. This was innovation. That's exactly in right. Sense. And technology. Yep. Right? We're going to put it on a cart instead yeah, of carrying care. it with poles. Right. Which which is the way God instructed it to be carried. That's right. Over in Exodus twenty five fourteen, right? And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark, right, by them. And so you carry it. You're supposed to carry the ark. And so now it's on, now it's on a cart. Um, and so uh, you know, as, as, you, as we know in this next part of the story, bad things happen, right? And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place was called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained at the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom with all his household. Nothing like a death to ruin your parade. Yeah, they kind of. I'm sure the symbols kind of came pretty quiet at that point. Um, but when we think about that, that that Uzzah's touch, right? What Uzzah didn't understand was what was going to defile the ark. Yeah, he thought hitting the ground, that it being dirty, would defile the ark. But that's mm-hmm. not what defiles the ark. Yeah. It's the sinful hand of Uzzah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I, I, I think sometimes in the holy things of God, we miss what's going to corrupt them. Mm-hmm. We miss what's going to dishonor God. Yeah. Well, I see a parallel there to Saul that we talked yeah. about, you know, the last couple of weeks. You know, I'm going to take things into my, my own, own hands. hands. Literally. 
Yeah, when you try to take the things of God into your own hands and do them your own way. That's right. You know, and it, 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 you know, it's always a disastrous result. And, you know, I, there's a lot of people who they read this passage and they still really struggle. I mean, my kids did. Sure. When we went through this passage as a family, you know, why, why would God kill this guy? But if you, if you look a little deeper, if you press into it, if you really think about it, you realize that, that Uzzah had, had grown comfortable yep. with the ark. He, he had been close to the ark. Yep. Uh, and so I think specifically, this is a warning for those of us who do a lot of ministry and who are in the church. That's right. We can become overcomfortable with the holy things of God, absolutely, and we don't, and, and we and we want to almost, uh, you know, take them into our own hands. Like right. it's it's our it's our, our duty to quote protect God, right? You right, know? And, and, and in doing so, we you know insert like the Philistine invention of the cart. You know that was a Philistine form of technology. We invent our own ways of trying to do things, and in doing so, we we skirt around the very things of God that He's trying to teach His people. That's exactly right. And this is the third time God has protected His ark. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's right. right. Thank you very much because yeah. he, he killed he killed off the Philistines. Yep. Right. Killed off the Israelites, and now He's killed us. Yeah. It's that idea that sometimes we think God needs us. Right. Right? right? He doesn't. Right. Let, let's just go ahead and confess that and be honest with ourselves. Now, does God, by his grace, choose to use us, to, to allow us to be conduits, to, to you know, bring the gospel to others through us? Yes, praise God. That's part of his mercy. It's part of his yep. grace that he allows us to be a part of what he's doing. But the idea that God needs us, that he is dependent on us in any way, shape, or form is just unbiblical. Yeah, well, that's the in me, right, casting crowns. It's refreshing to know you don't need me. It's amazing to think that you want me. Mm. Good right. word. And that and that's just that's just that's just it's 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 awe inspiring. I don't know what other word to use, right? Yeah. It's just it's just awe inspiring that you know, we don't take care of God, it's said in the notes, right? God takes care of us. Yeah. And we're going to see that repeated. Right? That's this, is right. not, this is not the last time we're going to see that in here. And, and you talked about David's anger. You, and, yeah. and one of the things that in the commentaries, there was kind of a split sense of David's anger. One yeah. was the, kind of the anger at God. Was David angry at God for doing this? Right. Which doesn't really – David being a man of the Torah, that really wouldn't be in, it, it really consistent with his character. Yeah. What was more probable is that he was mad because Uzzah put God in an impossible position, hmm. right, where the justice of God had to be dealt. Yeah. Right. Yep. And and so he was he was angry that, that this was the position they came into yeah. because of their faithlessness. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that it says here in the text there's kind of this three month window. Right. Like David doesn't jump to conclusions. I mean, the text tells us his immediate reaction, his emotion, which might have been the same for a lot of us, sure. you know, again, without giving a lot of, of detail about it to tell us that sometimes we get angry, but but don't act rashly, don't knee jerk. Right. You know, David spent some time, spent some time processing this. And when he does, he, he comes to the conclusion you right. know, that, that, you know, uh, that God is, is very much at work and that, you know, um, that, that, that what's happening here is obviously God working, you know, for his glory. Um, and, and to, to be sure that the people understand and respect his law and his truth. Well, David became afraid, right? And what that is, and as we've talked about before, right, fear is ascribing power and authority to something. Yes. So David was changing. A healthy fear. Exactly. What's what Brugman, right, notes that fear generated by this event was positive for, quote, when people are no longer awed, respectful, or fearful of God's holiness, the community is put at risk. Very good, yeah. Right, the community is put at risk. And so that's the, especially with David being the king, when you don't respect holy things, right, we as a body— or at risk. Yeah, that word respect, you know, talking earlier about our, our lack of reverence is an important word. Um, that fear word people don't understand, but but definitely the sense of there's a serious level of respect here is a great way to frame it. That's exactly right. And we, and we see that growing in David right in this next section, right? And it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Ebim and that all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord without shouting, with, sh with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Um, I, love this, I love the pause after six steps. Mm -hmm. right? There's almost a feel of Sabbath. Right, that that you sacrifice, that they're that you are that they are now recognizing that to carry the ark is 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 a holy thing. That's right. 
Right. And so you, and so it, it goes back to that sense of reverence, right? Yeah. That sense of awe. Well, and even the rhythm, right? The, yeah. the six days, yeah. and then you're, you're devoting that seventh to, to worship and to that's focus right. on God. And so that's the, the emphasis of the text there. Right, right. Not, yeah, just not missing. And while it's a subtle detail there, right? Not missing what, what that symbolizes, what yeah. that means. Well, anytime there's people. detail in the Bible, we always have to say, right? <laughs> right. What's it there for? Therefore, because right. you're right, the Bible just doesn't include unnecessary details. Yeah. It's a great uh, catch, and then and then David dancing around his underwear, <laughs> right? And David dancing yeah. around his underwear. Yeah, you know we got to remember that David sacrificed, which is the picture of worship, right. even in the New Testament. That's right. right. Paul Romans twelve says we are to be living sacrifices. sacrifices. Um, you know, and as we talk about often, the problem with a living sacrifice is that we can crawl off the altar, right? That's and exactly, we do so that's exactly on a regular basis, basis. Exactly you know, right. and so, but David here, you know, that, that's a picture of true worship, you know, sacrifice. And, and, and what David is doing here is, is, is remarkable for a monarch, for a king. Oh, absolutely. You know, to be, quote, undignified. Right. Well, and that's, that's an interesting thing where how you can be reverent but undignified. Right, because reverence is a God perspective and yes. dignity is a human perspective. That's so, so good, true. Uh, Tanya and I, during uh, the, the pandemic here, uh, we don't usually watch much together. We just don't do much TV, but we have watched some episodes of The Crown mm-hmm. about the British monarchy. And, you know, you just realize how stifling, like, some of their traditions are. You know, everybody thinks it'd be great to be king. Oh, yeah. You know, and then you realize how constraining, you know, heavy lies the crown is, exactly. is, the, is the saying. And so you think about the constraints that, that you know, a king like David feels to, to behave or to act a certain way. And of course, this is early in Israel's history, but again, the people will look to the nations around them and probably imagine their king looking like the, those kings. And now all of a sudden, they got their king dancing in the ancient equivalent of his underwear. Well, well and, and the first one was afraid, right, and hiding all the time, right? Yep. And then now the, now the second one we got is dancing around in his underwear in front of an ark, <laughs> right? right? So you got they got to kind of be kind of looking around at each other going... Yeah. yeah. What what exactly did we sign up but, for? But again, the beauty of this, to, to your point, Brian, and you just articulated that so well, is that he is is reverent because his his audience is one at this right. point, right? He he doesn't really care what the people think, right? But he is he is just you know in a genuine moment of you know praise to God, which is interesting in how we when we pull it to modern day and how we lead our worship. Mm-hmm. Right? Are we sure that it's reverent, even if even if it's seemingly against cultural standards? Yeah. And there's all kinds of cultural standards. By the way, it's not just dancing in our underwear, which I'm not going to suggest for, for right, right, right. Yes. Again, so, this yeah. is descriptive, right? Not, not prescriptive. prescriptive right? People, Let's be real clear, real, real clear on this one. But, 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 but we should be highly reverent, right? But, but there are traditions we bring forward that we go. You know, if you if you have a guitar in the sanctuary, then it's undignified, right? Right, yeah. because that's not a matter. That's not a matter of reverence as much a matter of dignity. Yeah. And so That's we have great. to be careful with what what those things are, and and there, but there are things that are a matter of reverence, right? That we overlook, and yeah. those are the things. Well, that and I would even argue dangerous. it's it's how you play the guitar. That's ex- absolutely. You, know, you, you want just it like to impress people with your, you know. Just jamming guitar solo, right. or are you using the talent God's giving you to ascribe worth to yep. worship God? And same thing with pipe organ. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, okay, got, I've, I've heard some magnificent pipe organ playing yeah. in, in a church that had nothing to do with Jesus, right? And but and like you say, it's the heart toward it. And it's also what you draw attention to. Yeah, right. And so what we've, what you and I both experienced in some of the great worship leaders we've had had through our congregations is they're almost invisible. Because yeah. they're they're so reverent, they're they're almost transparent, so that all you see is Jesus. And I think that's just that's just an unbelievably magnificent picture, right? And that's what David is trying to get across here: is don't look at me as king, look at look at God and our Lord. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to just mention, um, I, we didn't get into the notes, but if you flip over to First Chronicles in the, in the yeah. reading, you get David's song of yeah. thanks, which I think is a beautiful psalm that isn't in the Psalms. Psalms. You know, uh, but just remember that First Chronicles kind of retells the story of David for the exiles who right. are returning, uh, and so uh, you know, so it, it includes some details that this doesn't. So it'd be a great moment of worship to flip over to First Chronicles sixteen and, and spend some time in David's song of thanks that he is is leading his people in during this time. Right, we got a couple of quotes like Eugene Peterson, who's got a magnificent uh, commentary on this stuff, said, "Right, if David had been merely car- carrying out his religious duties." Excuse me. Or conducting a political ceremony, he would have been walking in solemn procession before the ark, leading it into Jerusalem with dignity. But this was no duty. He wasn't using God to give dignity to Jerusalem or taking pains that God be formally honored. He was worshiping 
responding to the living God. Yeah, right? which again gets back to David's heart. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, and I love the quote from uh, the Scottish, I think he's a Scottish pastor, Alexander White, who said, those who are deaf always despise those who dance. Amen. Especially yeah. thinking about David's wife That's and her response. <laughs> that we're getting ready to know, talk who about. Who is a princess, right? She is. And she is not pleased. And and she's had kind of a rough road, okay, right? She was given off to Granted. another guy, and then she was basically, you know, confirmation that, that Saul's, you know, family was giving up on things. So yeah, Bless her heart. Yeah, That's kind of our southernism of her, right? So David returned to, to bless his household. So he's going back to, to bless his household, right? But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Man, can't you just hear a wife saying oh, man. that to just, her husband? <laughs> he's walking in to bless his household. He's like, oh, great. Yeah, you <laughs> right. can just hear it in her voice. Oh, man. and that, But that's the, yeah, it goes back to the authenticity. Scripture is so accurate, right, in how we as human beings uh, just— Human yeah, nature doesn't change much. It absolutely doesn't. So David said to her, it was before the Lord, right? It was reverence, not dignity. Mm-hmm. It was reverence, not dignity, who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no child the day of her death. Right, so David responds and says, and I love the NIV translation, which says, yeah. I will become even more indignified right. than this, right? And the, the where I'll be abased in your eyes, the your is probably my, um, that I'll be, and, and the word abased in, in the rest of the Sephagent, where it's translated in the rest of the Sephagent, is really the humble expression of offering before God. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying, I will become even more humble before the Lord. Right, I will become even more humble before the Lord. Well, and again, it's externals versus internal. You know, his wife is looking at the external. Like you made a fool and or a show of yourself, right, in front of my servants, and and kings don't behave that way. Exactly. And David's simply saying that wasn't my heart intent. Right, I I was worshiping. You know, it was actually a humble act to say before God, you know, who am I? Right. (laughs) You know. Well, and I am unclothed. Right. This. This is right. I have no no royal. Presence, right? right? Because the clothes yeah. of a king, the oh, absolutely. King, Think about right? the garb of kings, man. Oh, yeah. The scepters and the crowns and the robes and all the symbolism. On and on it goes. And before the ark, I am naked. Yeah, right. But before God, I'm nothing. That's exactly right. right. Think about no, Job, right? Exactly. <laughs> that came into the world, <laughs> world naked, naked out of the ark, right? Yeah. <laughs> before God, that's that's who we are. There's right. there's nothing we bring, right? And 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 that yeah, that enthusiastic observance, right? And the fact that he met God's expectations and not hers. Mm-hmm. Right? How many times do we bow to others' expectations, bow mm-hmm. to others in lieu of God's? Right, and that just—that's just such a powerful meaning. And we see, right, Michael, Michael's lack of faith means that the house of Saul, right, was going to was going to. She's not going to have children. Yeah. Right. Again, that goes back to the honor shame culture we talked about through this whole thing. Right. That's a form that that's a form of shame. That, that she won't be able well, to... Well, and, and, you know, some people might say that's harsh, but again, it indicates the condition of her heart that's right. in the sense of not being able to recognize authentic worship from a show. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. She didn't... And and going back to the, the raisin cakes, right, that's in contrast to hand out the raisin cake, it was a symbol of fruitfulness. Right. Yeah, he, so there's he, another narrative within the narrative right there. Exactly. Another contrast to this thing. And now we come to, 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 chat, to chapter 7. And, and th- we're about halfway through the Old Testament at this point. That's right. right. And so it, it, chapter 7 is, is, is probably the center weight of the Old Testament. Yeah. I mean, this Davidic, it's the Davidic covenant. And, and these, these are just immensely holy words. These yeah. are immensely, and it, and it's a beautiful bridge in that it ties the previous covenants and, the, and what we've studied through all the Old Testament to Jesus. Exactly. And that is just, it's, it's just, this is just awe. I, I hope you find this as awe-inspiring as Jay and I do, because yeah. it, it is just truly awe-inspiring. Yeah, but, but yeah, don't miss it. I mean, you know, yeah. like you said, first of all, give yourself a little pat on the back. Right. We're halfway <laughs> right. through the Old Testament. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, yeah, don't miss the covenant importance. You know, yeah. again, part of the gift of going through the whole word in a year is to see these themes. Right. And now we come to a real key hinge, so to speak, in, in the story of God's chosen people. Yep. 
Let's go through the first few verses, right? So now when the king lived in the house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And so we see David, you know, he, he's really come a long way. And so he's now, I want to do something for God, right? Yeah. We've got this peace. And, and so are there times, right, are, are, are there, you know, that he just want he sees you know, this is where I'm living this is where this just yeah. can't be right yeah and all of the the intent here seems to be good on David's part and know? on Nathan's right yeah. on Nathan conf- yeah. well, confirming and, and David you know consults Nathan right and, and I love the, another Peterson quote on this right there are times when our grand human when our grand human plans to do something for God are seen after a night of prayer to be a huge human distraction from what God is doing for us. That's what Nathan realized that night. God showed Nathan that David's building plan for God would interfere with God's building plan for David. Yeah. I think David is just about to cross over the line from being full of God to being full of himself. Mm. Right? And so that's what we see in this next thing. Because what, right, the next, and, and by the way, this is not uncommon. This is the king being like all other kings. Sure. Right? Because in the history of, when you look at the history kind of Eastern kings in that area, they would build temples, they would right. build the honors to their God. And so some of it is to be like other nations. Yeah. Right. And and so part part of it is also that it goes back to the kind of the image they had. But as we as I and that's kind of the quote that kind of hit me this that kind of hit me this morning as I stayed through, right? Just because it's a good idea doesn't mean it's a God idea. Mm. Right? That'll preach. And, and so that's kind of what we're kind of what we're getting ready to find out. So but that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. By the way, that indicates that Nathan probably hadn't checked with the Lord before he answered David. Yeah. And as a, I, I'm a, you know, the Lord's kind of called me to be minister to ministers and to, and to, and I advise a lot of people that call, gave me pause these last couple of weeks yeah. to go, is my reflex to give advice based on what I know versus based on what God says. Mm. That's... And, and so all of us that are in positions of advice and, and advice and positions of leadership have to, have to stop and pause and be sure our reverence for God is maintained. That's right. As opposed to our dignity before our... Yeah, because on the surface, again, it seems just obvious, right? right. The king, man, he, the God's given him rest from the wars. He, you know, he's, he's doing well. We're, we're at the height of, you know, the early monarchy here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what you do. You build a, a temple to honor God. That's I mean, right. what, how, what could be wrong with that? Exactly. For all he's done for us. That's right. For all he's done it for It sounds us. so good. It but, does. But <laughs> you've always got to go back to God. That's right. And go back and check. So, right. So the Lord, Don't the Lord assume. And we do way too often. Right. So the Lord came to Nathan. He says, go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I was, I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. I, in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, pasture from, from feeding the sheep, from following the sheep, and that you should be prince over my people of Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be distributed no more, be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish the kingdom, his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Amen. Amen. Wow. Uh, so what God says is, look, it's nothing you've done and nothing you can do. I, right, I am. That's right. right. The I am is going to do all of this movement. And so, right, it, but it's it, it's sheer grace. 
Absolutely. Everything is sheer grace. And, and it really echoes back to the former covenants, right? Mm-hmm. Back, to, back to the covenant with Abraham and the covenant with Israel. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is a, uh, if you have the handout, there's a chart there, and I'm going to just verbally walk us through it for a few minutes. But, you know, it, it's this God letting David in on this simple truth, as we mentioned a moment ago. He doesn't need David to do anything for him. Right. You know, through man's eyes, what can I do that's greater, right, than right. build a temple for God? And God's like, let me tell you what's greater, right? First of all, he stretches their theology. Right. Uh, this idea that, you know, even though, yes, he's chosen to manifest his presence via the ark and the tabernacle, he's like, I'm not bound by those things. Right. And we tend to do the same thing today. I love the, the quote that you put or the thought that you put at the very beginning of the handout. God will not be put and kept in a box. Right. And, right. And, and, you know, a lot of the story of mankind is us trying to come up with a box to put around God. And so it is a powerful reminder Mm. that that's not what David is being called to do. Instead, what God is calling David to be is more important. And and Mm. so that being, Mm. you know, and what he's going to do in and through David is is just stunning. And so I love the Tim Keller quote who, who says, every other religion works on the principle. You build your God a house and your God will bless you. But Yahweh is a God of sheer grace. Mm. You don't build me a house. I build you a house that's much more than bricks and mortar. Amen. And so, of course, all kinds of foreshadowing, right, of the right. church and the eternal kingdom there, um, you know, that, that what God is building, uh, you know, the, the, like you said, this, this covenant is the pivot for so many things, uh, former and, and in the future. So let's, let's look for a second and kind of compare the two covenants we've seen so far, the covenant with Abraham and the covenant with Israel. It's been restated a couple times with the covenant with David. When the covenant with Abraham, God told him his name was going to be made great. We see the same here uh, in in verse 9. Abraham's going to have children. David is going to have a line, right, of succession. Uh, So we get a lot in the the rest of the Old Testament and into the New uh, about the line of David. And so that's why Judah, the line of Judah, comes up so many times and why it's so important. Uh, Abraham has promised that he's going to be given land uh, there in chapter 10 uh, or verse 10. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they will dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. So you have that idea of now of being rooted in, in the land. Uh, in a covenant with Abraham, right? There was a, a curse will be on your enemies, those who come against you. Uh, David is now promised rest from his enemies yeah. there. Uh, and then in the covenant with Israel, uh, Israel would be God's firstborn son. Well, the king is God's son, right. uh, God tells us. And, and interesting there, again, is use the word prince in verse 8. Yep. Uh, that, that Hebrew yep. word, Nagid. Um, even Israel's king didn't have ultimate authority. It was supposed to be a reminder that that, that was only given to Yahweh. So the king is God's son. Uh, you'll be a holy and royal nation, Exodus 19 tells us. Uh, and of course, part of what David's call was to, was to be this priest king, um, you know, and, and that that was the ideal leader of Israel, uh, one who led the people well, but who had a heart for the things of God. Uh, Psalm 110, uh, verses 2 through 4 talk about that. Uh, of course, there are stipulations to follow. Exodus right. 20, uh, <laughs> also known as the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, stipulations to follow. You know, that David and his people were still supposed to follow the word of the, of the Lord. That's right. Uh, that that's what made them distinct and unique. Uh, and of course, divine promises given uh, to, to Abraham and to Israel, those same divine promises are extended uh, to David and his line as well. So it's, it's pretty amazing when you begin to see how all of those threads, you know, line up and work together, uh, but are now expanded and right. specified. And so, you know, you get this idea uh, of all along through the Old Testament that God is beginning to sketch out these pictures, and they're getting more and more filled in right. as we get through the Old Testament and closer to the New Covenant. Right, and that's and that's what we see, right? And that's the the other list on the handout that that follows is there's these seven foreshadowings. In this of of Christ to come, and, and yeah, because at this point again, let's let's be honest, we're halfway through the Old Testament, and a lot of people are like, "Man, I'm so tired of genealogies and wars and land," and like, I get it, you know, but where's Jesus? Right. So, and, and that's what this shows us so clearly, yeah. right? That's that's what's so magnificent about this passage is is it brings all the old covenants in line with what we're going to see in Christ, and it's a foreshadowing both of of Solomon, 
right? Because we'll hear words that apply to Solomon, but they also extend to Jesus. Yeah, the, the prophecies, remember, work like mountain ranges. Right. There's an immediate fulfillment, kind of the near mountain range, and then you look out on the horizon and there are future fulfillments as right. well. And that, that's what's so magnificent. And the way you've got to read this, because otherwise there's, and we'll go through verse 14, some, some kind of things that you need to understand and interpret. But right, so where do we see? One, we see that he's the son of David, right? Matthew talks about that, right? The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, right? In, in Acts 13, 22 and 23. And when he had been removed, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. And of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Right. Yeah. I mean, how, how beautiful is that? And then he's, he's one that would raise from the dead, right? We go to Corinthians, right? For I've delivered to you as first importance what I've also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Right, that, and we see see that echo from here. These that the builder of the house for God, right? And Jesus answered them, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise yeah, up." There you right? Go. The Jews then said, "It's taken forty six years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days." But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Yeah, right. He was speaking of the temple, right? When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remarked that he had said this, and they believed the scripture, hmm. right? And the word that Jesus had spoken. How awesome is that? How just truly awesome is that, right? He's the, he's the possessor of the throne, right? The throne has been given. Hebrews 1.8 says, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom, right? In Revelation 3.21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne also as, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, mm-hmm. right, that he, that he possesses. He possesses the eternal kingdom. Right, First Corinthians fifteen twenty four and twenty five. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's right. Right. That and the Hebrews one eight again. Right. In Second uh, Peter one eleven. Right. For this, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Right? We see that he's the son of God. Right? He says, God, I will be a father to him. Right, And that's the beginning of Mark's gospel, the beginning of the gospel of, of, of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Right, John twenty thirty one. But these were written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have in his name, you have eternal life. Right, and then last, right, he's the product of the immaculate conception, and right, we go back to the Christmas narrative in Luke. Right, right, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, "How will this be, since I am a virgin?" And the angel answered her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and by the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called holy." The Son of God, mm-hmm. right? and that really is is almost the right the summation yeah. of these seven points in, in that one scripture, um, right? David did not right. And one of the other commentaries said David did not need to construct an impressive but lifeless building in which the Lord could dwell. The Lord had already constructed an impressive and living building in which He could dwell. That edifice was the life of David, right? <laughs> and later on, the echo it's it's Jesus incarnate. Yeah. I mean, how spectacular is that? Yeah, it's it's absolutely you know just mind blowing <laughs> to think about that you know paradigm shattering right you know what right. what God is up to you know and what He's communicating in this moment. Well, and and what David gets to be a part of, the people of Israel get to part of, and and, and right, and we their heirs, right? We their brothers in Christ. Yeah, that's the other mind blowing thing you right. know on the other side of the covenant that we are grafted into this, right? Like we get to be a part by faith of this family line. Exactly. And that's just, that's just mind-blowing. I, mean, I don't know what other word to use. Mind-blowing, right? Um, in verse 14, right, when, if you take it strictly toward, toward Christ, this is where you've got to be sure it's, it's fulfilled both in the now and the not yet. Right? The, right. The, the now, and then there's a future, right? I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the son of men. Right? That certainly happened to the people of Israel throughout time. Yeah, right. they were certainly Be- disciplined. Beginning with Solomon, beginning, right? Well, yeah, so yeah, because really, clearly really Jesus doesn't it. commit iniquity. That's exactly but right. Solomon, as we will see, but he is does. right. But he is he is disciplined with the rods of men. Yeah, right. He faces those stripes. He faces those rods. Right, and 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 Hebrews. Um, Five, eight, nine. It, it's pretty interesting. He says, right, although he was a son to Jesus, yeah. he learned obedience through what he suffered, right? That there was suffering in Jesus' life and, and not to increase his knowledge per se, because he's, 
God. Right. But but that he would know the pain. He would know the consequence, physically know the consequence of sin. Yeah. Who who was not sin. Yeah. Who did not sin. That's again the kind of mind blowing, you know, aspect that he would stand in our place to this. Yeah. This is this is one of those places to me in scripture that there there's an ocean here. <laughs> oh man. Like, you know, you, you only ever kind of can skim the surface or maybe snorkel a little right. bit, but there's an ocean of depth in these words. There is. There is. And like I said, we could we could we could literally camp here the, the rest the rest of the time of kind of eternity. But but like I said, so we'll we'll, we'll go on a because David has has a fabulous response to this, right? Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. For And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord, for there is none like you and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house. And do as you have spoken, and your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. I love that. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise yeah. the Lord. I don't know if it's kind of right. Let's sing just as I am. Exactly. I think we can just we can make the altar call at this point, right? David's response to the Lord, right, is a magnificent declaration. I love this with awestruck humility, solemnity, and bold faith. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and that's what it is. I mean, it, it's just a it's it, it just a bold faith. It's it's pretty amazing that David declares himself a servant. Yeah, and more than any other person in the Old Testament in the narrative, David refers to himself as a servant, and that's a big deal for a king. It is right because it is, and you know, I'm working on my doctorate in leadership, and a lot of you know what you learn is is about what's called reframing. Right. So David has this grandiose idea, you right. know, and then God's like, "Oh, let me blow that out of the water." Yeah. And David's response is the right one, right, to say basically, "Ooh, man, Lord, you're right. Like, who am I?" And whoa, and that I, I get to be a part of this. Right. Like David is reframing in worship his understanding of what it means to be a king before Yahweh. Exactly. And, and that and that's why the, the perspective of he, he you know, it's I can be a servant. In other words, you know, when you know who you are in God, when you know who you are in Christ, you're secure in your identity. Right. You know, you don't have to be savior of the world. Right. Because guess what? There's already a savior. Right. You know, there there is a God and you're not him. Right. And, and you're incapable of doing that anyway for, for all of, for those of us who've tried to save ourselves. Yeah. Now, I, I may be alone in that, but I, I think no, there's probably, I, probably one or two more people. And that's right, the that's, story, right? Of exactly. every, that's the, the shadow side of every great leader exactly. is ultimately they, they get a Messiah complex. That's right. Well, and it's, it's an insecurity that drives them there, right? And what we see is David's security in, in the Lord. And that's what, and when you see mature believers, mature leaders in Christ, you see the security of their faith. Right. And it's not a confidence in themselves of anything, but a confidence in what the Lord has done. Because that's what we talk about, all these great acts that we've seen. Right? We've seen you do these wonderful things. We've seen you do these extraordinary things. And so we have faith you're going to continue. Right? Why will God stop blessing you? God's blessed you thus far. Why will God stop blessing you now? Yeah. Right? And that's the question as we face adversity. We have to ask ourselves those, right? Um, and so, and so now David goes on to 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 uh, battle. That's right. And um, this is really back to work. Back to work. And so, the, really, and this is really the beginning of chapter eight. It's the last time we hear of the Philistines in any significant way. 
Mm-hmm. And so David gets to put down, kind of put down the significant, right? The Lord gave David victory wherever he went, right? Little, I love the, the note, right? Little puny runt David tackles and conquers nations far stronger and older than his kingdom. He conquers religions north, south, east, and west. He uses his influence to bless God's people, right? He, he, go, he goes in. And right, we see at, right after this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them, and David took Mega Ameth out of the hands of Philistines. That's Gath. Right. right, put Gath out of the hand, so so that's kind of the their capital city, their, exactly. So he he takes it right there, and I, I think it's it's fascinating when we go down to verse four, right? And David took from them seventeen hundred horsemen and twenty thousand foot soldiers, and David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for a hundred chariots. And if we remember back to Deuteronomy seventeen, right, the Lord that the king should not take for him too many horsemen, right, because then his faith will be in the horsemen. Right. And not in the Lord. And so it's, it's, it's amazing to see David, king of the Torah, yes. right? Bringing the Torah back, remembering what they're supposed to do, right? And he, and he does it, does it again down with the gold and the silver, right? Yep. That they, that they, that they acquire great gold and the silver. Blessed and he, to be a blessing. That's exactly right. And he, and he, and he gives, gives that to the Lord, right? And, 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 um, we see him being obedient, right? Um, yeah, verse 15 sums it up so well. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice this, and equity to yep. all his people. That's exactly and right. And that's, that's the picture of what a good leader, a good king should do. It's, yeah. it's shalom. It's, it's the fullness of life. It's, it's God's blessing, you know, you and you being a blessing to your people as a leader. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The quote I love, I think, was David's obedience to the basic requirement, right, about not taking the silver and gold, displayed his unalloyed heart. To the Lord, mm. right? That it's not that his heart isn't in the silver and gold, yeah. right? And we and we see that in in cha- as we go into chapter nine, right? His kindness to uh, Mephibosheth. Yeah, and th- this chapter, you know, again, we've talked about really grandiose themes, but th- this chapter moves us deeply, and there's a good reason why. It absolutely does, right? The first two, and David said, "Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul?" That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake, because we remember his pledge back to Jonathan, yeah. right? That he, that he would take care of his line. And now, that word kindness, by the way, really important, right? Yes. That's that Hebrew word kesed, yep. uh, which is loving kindness. It's the closest word to grace we have in, in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament. That's right, and and that's what he wants to extend, right, to, to Saul. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him, that may show grace to him, right? Yeah. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And so, and, and this hits me pretty hard as, as, a, as a father of two special needs kids. Um, and... and the reason Meshibbethev was probably still around was when they killed off the house of Saul, the cripple wasn't worth killing. Hmm. And we have friends that minister in, in Africa, and when they'll go in and kill off in, in brutal killings, they'll kill off a, a people or, or, a, or a village. Tribe, yeah. yeah they'll, they'll leave the cripples because they're not worth killing. And, and to, to, to think of that lowliness, right, that lowliness yeah. of, of value of life. Yeah. And that's where Meshibbethev is, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that's that honor-shame culture. That crippling is a shame, yeah. right? And so this is, this is a shameful person. Yeah, he is, is low man on the totem pole, right? He's right. from a disgraced house, a, a shamed line. They've lost the crown. You know, he's, he's crippled. And in those days, no, you know— Ancient Israelites with Disabilities Act. Right. I mean, you know, he's right. he's got nothing going for him at right. all, except for David says, "Who who of the line of Saul can I show kindness right. to? Who can who can I give grace to?" Right. Yeah. And I love these three scenes we laid out. Right. The first one, right. He was we we saw Meshibbethev earlier that in fleeing Saul's palace. Right. The five year old is dropped. And becomes lame and grows up in obscurity. As a life defined by something that happened to him, our culture would label him a victim, right? Because that's what happened. Some, yeah. Something happened to him. Yeah. Right. And, and he didn't have any control over it. He didn't. But, and, and, and it's the same way you know, our boys were born the way they were born. It's the way the Lord made them. Um, but, but that doesn't define them, right? Yes. I, I, you, there you, you, there you, it is. And that's yeah. what Benjamin always said with his cerebral palsy was, you know, it, while it refines me, Mm-hmm. And it does because you have a different mm-hmm. soul because when you grow up in in that yeah. kind of thing, yeah. it does not define me, but it does refine me. Yeah, right? that's good. And he said, and that's John nine, where Jesus and the disciples were walking by, and, G- and the disciples asked him, "Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind since birth?" And Jesus says, "Neither this man nor his parents sinned that he's born blind since birth, but this was done so the glory of God may be shown in his life." 
maybe Meshibbethev was crippled so that the grace of David could be shown to him. Mm. Yes. Right? And, and, and when we see that parallel, it, it's, again, it goes back to kind of the awe-inspiring grace of God, yep. even in the brokenness. Maybe especially through the brokenness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Maybe especially through the brokenness. Right, so scene two, right? David's been busy fighting wars and securing authority. He now turns his attention to keeping a covenant promise and made to an old and a dear friend, right? And it's another Peterson quote, right? David is now in a position of deciding how to exercise whatever gifts he's been given, whatever energy he has. The question is, what will he choose as the navigational means for his life, power or love? Will he manipulate and manage so he can be in control? Or will he be open or generous so that he can love? Yeah, David has reached the peak. He is right. now at that point where he, nobody's telling him what to do. Right. It's simply his heart that's going to guide him. Right. And, and it's interesting because in our culture, so many times we, you know, we talk about you know the crucible of of struggle or weakness or pain, and, and those things are very real. But there's another crucible, and that's success. That's right. It's who who are you when you have it all, when you can do it all, when right. there's nobody bossing you around. Right. right. At this point, David's only authority is God. That's exactly Yahweh. Right. And so is he going to choose to reflect Yahweh's character, or is he going to do what kings generally do, right? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm too busy fighting wars. I'm too busy building palaces. I'm too busy, you know, with my court, you know, my pleasures, to think about the little guy. Right. And yeah, that's you, why the story is so remarkable. Yeah. Right. Do, you, do you do the things of man, or do you do the things of God, yeah. right, when, when you have that discretionary power, right? That's Paul's remarkable. We'll talk about that right at the end of Philippians, where he says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty. Learn the secret of facing plenty. Most of us are like you. I like to challenge. I like dry <laughs> right? facing plenty. It sounds, right. like, but, sounds like a good thing. But, but it, that's not, how the mighty fall. That's exactly uh, we right. We see that all the time. Well, you see the destructiveness, right, of those that have every, everything. Well, right. they get hungry for power. Right. You know, that, that sinful nature takes over. That's right. You know, the old saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right. that I taught as a history teacher. <laughs> you know, is just, I mean, it's just, you know, in every generation and every culture and civilization. But you see, but you see, and the story is here, I think, to show us something remarkable about David's character. That's exactly, that's exactly right. So, right, the scene three, right, is is years later, and this this is where it gets interesting. That we're going to talk about next week, right? We see Meshivatev once more. And we get two sides of the story: as David's forced to flee Jerusalem during Absalom's rebellion, right? Ziba tells David that Meshivatev remained in the city, hoping to be made king. Meshivatev tells David that Ziba abandoned him, unable to flee. The truth, we never find out. Right? But David doesn't exhaust the energy to find the truth, instead dividing the land between the two. But Meshibbethev decides all he wants is to live in the presence of the king. It shows the transforming power of love. That's exactly right. You know, and I, I love that section in the middle of chapter 9 uh, when Mephibosheth you know, first comes to David, falls on his feet, and yep. David says, you know, embraces him, says his name. Yep. You know, doesn't call him victim or cripple, right. but calls him by his name. And at that point, I don't know that he would know that David would remember his name. Right. Or, you know, yep. but he did. And he answered him, behold, I am your servant. And yep. David said to him, do not fear, fear. Yeah. for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you to all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table mm. always. Mm. And again, it's, and it's not just you're not a victim. It's that you're part of my kingdom. That's right. You're part of my family, right? You, the people that eat at the table are your family. That's it. Right? The people that ate at the king's table was his family. And that's yeah, it is a picture of uh, the gospel. Well, it's, it, Jesus, right? There will be a great banquet, right? And, and all of those that believe lowly and kingly yeah. will be sitting there together. Yeah. In praise of Jesus. And there are those of us who have had things done to us. Oh, we yeah. have been, you know, victims. We are crippled. We are needy. We feel forgotten. Yep. All of these things. And God's loving kindness extends to us an invitation. Yeah. Hey, I know your name. Mm. Come have a place at my table. Right. Think about the Lord's oh. Supper. Again, mm. the, an ocean of depth here <laughs> in, in chapter 9. Well, this all goes. Yeah. This Wow. That's, that's just awesome. Absolutely awesome. Oh, man. But then chapter 10, kind of beginning, right? And, and while there's still victory, we're starting to see where this is going to go. Yeah. Right? That, that while David is, is a great king and a man after God's own heart, yeah. he's flawed. Yeah, the winds of change. Right. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna see them begin to blow. Yeah, and so right, and so after this, right, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. David said, "I will deal loyalty 
uh, loyally with Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent his servants to console them concerning his father. Yep. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites, but the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun, their lord, Do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to, to you to search the city and to spy it out and overthrow it? So Hunan took David's servants and shaved off half their beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. When it was told to David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, remain in Jericho until your beards have grown return. All right. So, so yeah. So my 11-year-old son was very interested in the meaning of all of this. Uh, and so just before we go ahead, of course, honor, shame, culture. Absolutely. Basically, you know, big, big picture. David's, David's the king on top. Right. And, and now, you know, people are going to be suspicious of him. Everybody's always trying to take down King of the Hill. Right. And so that's kind of what you have, you know, beginning to stir here is that, you know, the target's always on your back yep. uh, when you're when you're in charge. And so he sends these messengers with good motives, yep. but obviously they interpret it as something else. And so they shame him. The cutting off of the beard, that's a oh. symbol of manhood right. in ancient Israel. Uh, it goes back to Leviticus 19.27. Some Orthodox Jews still practice this to this day. They don't shave. Right. Um, so the half the beard thing, right? was an insult basically and then you know cutting off the garments in the middle at their hips is you know a basically a way of saying they were naked from the waist down right and so obviously that's shameful for obvious reasons i compare it to the the game that junior high boys still play where they de-pants each other in yes. the locker room yes you, know, you run up and you shag each other you know they call it they, they, they de-pants each other and so and so that uh is a picture uh, of of what is taking place here but obviously it's it was on a, a much more severe level right. and so so the men weren't shamed. Basically, David says, let your beard grow back and find some clothes to put on right. your bottom half before you come home. Right. Well, to restore your honor. Yes. You've been shamed. Let me yeah. again, again with David. The other thing that's interesting is what fear does for you, right? Yes. Because that was fear speaking to, to the uh, Amorites. Right. Ammonites, right? Because they, and we saw that in other players. We saw Saul see things, right? Fear made him see David as an enemy when David was an enemy, right? The, to the Ammonites, fear made them see yeah. David as yeah. an enemy. But what it speaks to, you know, again, on a real broad scale is this idea that David, even as great as he was, you know, could not bring lasting peace. Right. That's exactly right. Right, yeah, for all of David's successes, right, he cannot bring ultimate peace. Old alliances, right, old allegiances erode, and David's servants are dishonored, right? And so Israel and I, you, and and he goes and they go and they go and David goes and they fight in basically a, a, a very difficult fighting, a very difficult situation yeah. and continue and win. Right, the yeah, Lord gives them victory. Right? So the it's really a major victory. It is. It's a, it, and it's and it's extreme. So this is kind of the and this is kind of the epic end of right the beginning of teetering of David's reign. And the kind of epic end of the of the victories, right? Yeah, so we're we're kind of at a to be continued moment because right. this is going to feed into chapter eleven. That's exactly right, right, right. For a leader, the greatest threat is often not in times of adversity, but in times of blessing, right? In victory, a different enemy emerges, the enemy of our own success, right? That goes back to that Philippians, right? But and Paul, right, eleven through sixteen. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how it is to I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Right? I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Right? That little tagline you forget that comes out of Paul going, look, whatever circumstance I'm in, the Lord is with me. And so I can face hunger. And, And what you see is David's soul separating from the Lord. Yeah. Right? And and that's what we'll get into certainly in the famous story next week. So as we walk away, right, we see a couple of things, right, from the yeah. ark. Give right, us some takeaways. Right, we see that, that we, we want to treat holy things as holy, right, and be careful what the world tells us in our holy practices. That, 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 that reverence versus dignity, right, is what we kind of came out, came out of that with. Sure. That we've, got, we've got to be, be reverent. Yeah. That, and that, go ahead. No, I was just going to say shameless plug, right? We're Sermon on the Mount That's on right, Sunday, right. Sunday morning. So this Sunday's, this coming Sunday sermon is, is about our spiritual practices before right. God. Right. You know, and again, what we do with our prayer and our fasting and our giving, you know, things that are to be holy to God. Do we do those for show? Right. Being like the world around us. Or do we do those again with the heart towards God? Oh, I love that. Right. In reverence or in dignity. Do we do it's that? always amazing how God brings together oh, all those threads, right? That's just awesome. That's just awesome, right? David foreshadows Jesus, but has fatal flaws. Yeah. Right? We, we, we see that. We're going to see that a lot next week. Um, and that David's victories lead to pride. And that pride's going to undo, as pride does with all of us, is going right. to be his undoing, right? Yeah, C.S. Lewis called pride the great sin. 
right. because it manifests itself in so many different faces. In everything, yeah, right? Yeah, in so many different ways in, in, in our lives. But, you know, Brian, as we talked about before, I, I love the picture of Mephibosheth and, and just what, what, how that is a picture of the gospel. And right. I think that's between what you highlighted out of chapter 7 and the covenant, that picture of the gospel, and the very personal, you know, God welcoming us to his table as cripples. Yeah. Um, I put mm. the lyrics to a song uh, that our worship minister, Luke Roman, reminded me about yesterday as we were doing the Bible reading as a staff, you know, called Carried to the Table. Uh, and so I felt like this would be a great place for us to land uh, reflecting yeah. on that. So anything else before no, I read this and then we no, pray? I'm good. It's, and this is beautiful. Yeah. Just yeah. Beautiful. I encourage you to YouTube it or, or go find it online, the lyrics. But here's the lyrics. Wounded and forsaken, I was shattered by the fall, broken and forgotten, feeling lost and all alone. Summoned by the king into the master's courts, lifted by the savior and cradled in his arms. Mm. Like just thinking about mm. us being in the position of Mephibosheth. And then the chorus goes, I was carried to the table, seated where I don't belong, carried to the table, swept away by his love. And I don't see my brokenness anymore when I'm seated at the table of the Lord. I'm carried to the table, the table of the Lord. And then the second verse, fighting thoughts of fear. We've talked about that today and wondering why he called my name. Am I good enough to share this cup? The world has left me lame. Even in my weakness, the Savior called my name. In his holy presence, I'm healed and unashamed. Amen. That'll preach. Amen. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. It's rich. And mm-hmm. God, we thank you for um, these stories in the life of David that are so instructive to us. And so, God, I pray today that we would learn to treat your holy things as holy. Amen. Uh, and God, that we would be intentional and careful with our worship. God, we know that, uh, God, more important than anything we do for you, just as David wanted to build the temple, is what you have done for us in Mm -hmm. Jesus. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so, God, may we celebrate that. We know that you called us to grace-fueled effort to serve you. But, God, that's not uh, in order to earn your favor or your grace. That's because of your favor and grace. Uh, And, God, from David, we know that you bring us the victories. Uh, But, God, we want to guard in our hearts against thinking, those victories are due to to who we are. And and God, we don't want our pride to be built. Instead, we want to be humbled and worshipful. Uh, And God, we want our attitude to be that of David. Who am I uh, in my house that you have brought me this far? So God, thank you that in your gospel, the gospel of grace, uh, God, you have treated us like Mephibosheth, that you have remembered our name, uh, that you have healed us, and that you've given us a place at your table. So God, thank you for showing us how the Old Testament points forward to the new, how Every line and verse of your scripture points us to Jesus. Mm. And well, may we take that with us uh, into our world today. It's a fearful time. And so may we bring that hope, the hope that comes from you. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. We will see you next week as we uh, kind of wrap up Second Samuel.